Hey, I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. Hope you enjoy the message. Before I get started on the message, I did want to pray for um, the Wheaton family. Um, The Wheaton family is pretty new to the church. They've been coming since February, I think, Um, January, February. Um, But last week, uh, Mrs. Wheaton fell and uh, hurt her foot real bad. And this morning, Ray, or yesterday, Ray fell and had to have some sutures put in his face. Um, So we are, I don't know, like whatever ice is going on. I know it's colder today, but we need to like, hey, bubble wrap you two. Um, But we need to pray for the Wheatons because it just... It's not fun going through that, and they've also had another family member fall, and it looks to be a pretty tragic fall uh, in that. And so I just want to take a time out and pray for the Wheaton family, and um, then we'll move on from there. God, thank you so much that you are a God who loves us and cares for us, and that cares about our our heartaches and um, our health. Lord, we pray for the Wheatons. Um, if they've gone through a pretty turbulent last couple of weeks, um, family members getting hurt, them falling, all the different stuff. And Lord, we just pray for stability. I pray that you would, uh, your healing touch would be on their family, uh, that you would heal their uh, emotions and hearts, as well as um, these, these wounds from these falls. We ask you to touch them, be with them today, as they are missed. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, has anyone ever felt like they were misunderstood? Anyone identify with that? Anyone ever feel like they were misunderstood, unfairly treated? If you're a sibling, you know it's unfair. Maybe your unfair treatment ended a relationship. Uh, Maybe it ended a job. Maybe it ended an opportunity. But that unjust, that it's unfair, that it's so prevalent. And what is our reaction when we deal with that unfairness? What, how do we go through that? Because if you're human, you've probably experienced one of those emotions, right? You've, you've gone through that. Now, I, I kind of make fun of it with the kids' stuff and the sibling stuff, but it's, it's real in our work environments, in our marriages, and how we deal with it. Like, it just doesn't go away. So if you girls are hoping that you'll graduate from feelings of unfairness, bad news. It's always there. But good news is you can learn at an early age how to migra- uh, mitigate and work through those feelings of unfairness, and then you'll be at an advantage over everybody else in your life, okay? So we're gonna help you. This is the cheat code for the rest of your life right here today. Um, That's what we're gonna talk about. There's a guy in the scripture. He's probably the best hero in the Bible, the one that's the closest to being a hero in the Bible, living up to that name. These other guys have all kinds of weird issues uh, that they they deal with. Uh, You've got Jesus. Jesus, of course, It's the hero of the Bible, just full disclaimer, spoiler alert if you're reading it for the first time. Uh, But 
this guy is the only one that you look at and you go, he's not that bad. His major flaw is he shoots his mouth off. So I clearly just overlooked that flaw and just let it go. Like, so, uh, but that's, that's his major flaw is he shoots his mouth off a little bit. And um, other than that, he does a pretty good job. Now he gets treated unfairly all throughout his life. And it's one of the most beautiful stories in the scripture. I am talking about Joseph. Joseph is a man who gets treated incredibly unfairly um, in different areas of his life, but continues to rise above it. There are moments in his life where if you or I were accused of the things that he was accused of, we would just give up and just be done. And Joseph doesn't. He continues to persevere. He continues to go through. Joseph is given the opportunity to crush the people that have wronged him, and he doesn't. He continues to rise above. He continues to do the right thing. His legacy is beautiful in this. Because the temptation, right, is, oh, now I got you where I want you. Let's get the magnifying glass and roast that ant, right? Whatever you can do to really turn those tables to do whatever uh, it is to someone that's wronged you. And Joseph says, no, that's not the way in which I'm going to operate. That's not the way in which I'm going to proceed. I'm going to do something different. Now, if you've never heard Joseph's story, we're going to kind of give a um, 10,000-foot flyby of it today. Um, But if you're interested in reading along with us in the Heroes of the Faith that we're discussing for the summer as there's a We Read a little notebook out in the lobby and a bookmark that has the first six weeks of um, the Heroes of the Faith. It'll have the second six weeks when we get a little bit closer. Feel free to pick that up and you can read along with us. It's about a chapter and a half, two chapters a day. It takes you about 10 minutes to follow along. And then out of that scripture comes what I'm going to be preaching about on Sunday. So you can feel like you're on the in crowd there with all of that. Joseph's story starts as a young man who is the baby of the family, and he knows he's the baby of the family, and he thinks he's pretty special. Now, he is pretty special, but he doesn't have to keep telling everybody he's so special. Right? We have a baby in our family. Lucy's the baby, and she's pretty special, and she knows she's pretty special, and everybody knows she gets away with stuff because she's adorable. Now, we try, we try to discipline her fairly, but, you know, after you had a Kindle in your house. No, I'm playing, baby. Um, after, <laughs> after, after that, you just kind of, you know, the baby of the family always gets away with stuff, right? Anybody here the baby of the family? Anybody here the oldest of the family that can't stand the baby of the family? Oh, you don't have to put your hands up. You, like, you know what's going on. One of my assistant coaches is one of eight children, and he is uh, right in the middle of it all, and he... He, he was talking about um, never having a, a bedroom by himself his whole life. Like he never, he never got to sleep in a, a bedroom by himself, barely got to sleep in a bed by himself in his whole life. And I just, like coming as an only child, that is totally foreign to how I, everything thing works. Um, but, you know, there's that, always that tension of, well, he's the baby. He's the oldest. He's the, blah, blah, blah. and then you got the middle one who, well, we'll just pray for them. <laughs> So you have all those, those issues. But he's the baby of the family. He knows he's special. He knows he's, something's going on. And he, starts, he knows he's so special, he starts dreaming about how special he is. 
And then this fatal flaw is he starts talking about how special he is to his older brothers. So if you're a baby and you know your mom's favorite, just don't tell anybody that your mom's favorite, okay? Or this may happen to you. Uh, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Uh, they is his brothers. Him is Joseph. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. This escalated pretty pretty quickly. Okay. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to rescue uh, him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Cistern's a big water collection um, hole in the ground because you're in the desert, and so you dig a hole and kind of arch it around, and so the sun wouldn't evaporate it if you need to know what a cistern is. Uh, The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat their meal. So they sit down, they eat their meal. Joseph's down at the bottom and say, guys, guys, I just imagine this, right? Um, just set the, set the stage for this. They throw him in there. Uh, where'd I go? So they're eating their meal. He's being as annoying as all get out. Just, it's not in the scripture, but come on, you guys know what's happening here, right? And some slavers, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead start coming up. The camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to, Jer- uh, to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Yeah, because slavery is so much better. Our own flesh and blood, the, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. So good news, you didn't die. Bad news, you're a slave. Who sold you into slavery? Your brothers. Now, as I look at Kevin, he's like, eh, turn a profit on getting rid of one of my siblings? There were moments, probably, that someone thought that of you or you thought that of someone else, right? <laughs> all right? right? We, all, we all have these things in our heads of, of craziness, but this is what's going on here. They, oh, well, let's not kill him. Let's make a profit. What? is going on here just because he's shooting his mouth off and telling how his brothers are going to bow down to him and he's the best thing ever. But he has gone into this situation in which he's so unfairly unfairly treated. Yes, he's a loud mouth. Yes, he probably should have kept his mouth shut. But does that deserve death or slavery? I would think not. Joseph being sold into slavery is one of these moments in which would easily crush a person. Easily crush a person and rightfully so crush a person. This is a huge moment in Joseph's life. What is he going to do now? We start to see him start to take the the route in which we want to follow in our own lives here in this very first episode of Nastiness. He rises above and does his best in the worst circumstances. He rises above and does his best in the worst circumstances. 
Quickly, as a slave, he starts to get promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted until he is basically in charge of this guy's household. So he goes from field hand all the way up to general manager of Potiphar's household. Now, Joseph must have been a good-looking dude because the story gets worse. Potiphar's husband, or Potiphar's wife, sorry. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph and is like doing a Joey Tribbiani and saying, how you doing? All right. And so this continues to go on and there's a little flirtation stuff going on and Potiphar's wife continues to notice how attractive Joseph is. And she's and Potiphar's gone for the weekend and she tries to lure Joseph into her bed and Joseph says, no. And she grabs, there you go. He grabs, grabs uh, his cloak. He runs out of his cloak to get away from the woman. And then uh, Potiphar's wife keeps that safe for her, uh, herself. And when Potiphar comes home, he says, look, he tried to rape me. I have proof. Here's the cloak that I have. How else would I have this cloak? And Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He tried to get away from the crazy lady. But he's accused of rape. Who are you going to believe, your wife or a slave? So not only has he been sold into slavery, he didn't do anything to deserve this. Usually slaves at this time were um, you know, war criminals or people captured in war, not a brother that shot his mouth off. And so now he's in slavery, and then he, he did his best in the slavery, and he rose up, and he was getting his life together and making the best of the situation he could. And now he's accused of rape. He's this man he's earned his trust and the trust is gone and shattered and he's nothing again and now he's sent to prison. Now Potiphar must have not thought that he did it because he would he had every right just to kill him. So getting sent to prison is actually a little bit of a thing, but we don't need to get into all that. How is he going to respond? Because Joseph's life right now kind of sounds like a Shakespearean tragedy. Right? It sounds like a play of... Everything that can go wrong will go wrong in this moment. How does he respond? With bitterness? With crankiness? No. He tells the truth. He goes to jail. He rises above and does his best in the worst circumstances. He rises above and does his best in the worst circumstances. Now, I bet Joseph had a little cranky pants moments, right? I bet he whined a little bit. A few prayers there were laced with tears and snot and on his knees. But what does he do? He dusts himself off. He rises above and does his best in, his, in the worst circumstances. So now we go to the next phase of Joseph's life. He's in jail. He's hanging out in jail, not having a good time, but he continues to be the best prisoner he possibly can be. And what happens now is he gets put in charge. They're like, well, Joseph will do it. But he's like team captain of the prisoners. And so the jailers don't want to work very hard. And they're like, eh, let Joseph do it. Okay, we'll let Joseph do it. Okay, we'll let Joseph do it. Okay, we'll let Joseph do it. And so all of a sudden we find Joseph is in charge of the jail. And in this moment, um, it comes to be known that Joseph can interpret dreams. So these guys come and they are like, oh, Joseph, tell me what your dream is. Tell me what, tell me what this dream is. 
What does this mean? What does that mean? Joseph tells him, one guy, it's really bad news. One guy, it's really good news. He tells the cupbearer that he's going to get let out, get to go back and um, be in good graces of Pharaoh again. So he said, but, but listen, when you got out, you know, you're the cupbearer. Tell him how you got out. Tell him, put in a good word for me. You know my work ethic? I'm in charge here of the jail. Help somebody out. Cupbearer forgets him for years and years and years. Anyone ever have anybody you've invested in and you thought, oh, this is going to have, you know, a good result. This is going to be a great relationship you invested in, invested in, invested in. It really helped out and then nothing. Right? That's where Joseph is. Some of you right now are thinking of work partners. You're thinking of situations. You've got all this stuff like, ah, I'm owed more than this. And he's like, I'm trying not to have an entitled mentality, but I'm entitled to a little. I, got, I helped him get out of jail. Like, well, I, should have remembered me. Some of the story may strike really close to home. You don't even want to think about that. It's so easy to fall into the siphon of bitterness and frustration and yuck. Our circumstances we can't control. Why is this happening? It just feels like I'm in a pit and people are throwing dirt on top of me. Joseph is living through that. But instead of letting the dirt cover him, instead of letting life swallow him, he continues to do his best in the worst circumstances. Through all of this, he leaves a legacy of integrity. Through all of it, he is who he is. I, it's baffling to me. It's it, so inspiring to me to see Joseph's life. He gets made a slave and he rises to be the head of the household. He gets made a prisoner and he rises to be the head of the jail. What circumstances are we that, that threaten to overwhelm us, to crush us, to break us? And our thought is not, how do I make this place better? How do I do my best in this situation? It's how do I just get away and no one can ever know that I'm here? My temptation for, as Joseph being thrown into a jail in Egypt at this time would be, how do I just hide in a dark corner and no one ever know I exist anymore? That would, personally, I would go through a, a little bit of time that that probably would be my life goal. But not for Joseph. How do I rise above? 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 Finally, the cupbearer has this epiphany moment of, oh yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy that Pharaoh has some problems with some dreams. He can't get anybody to interpret his dreams. He's scared to death of the dreams. The cupbearer all of a sudden has that Light bulb moment. Oh, yeah, I know a guy about this. He's in the jail. Well, let's bring him out. He's having a good time. So Joseph gets to come out, interprets the Pharaoh's dream, works out. All of a sudden, Joseph is promoted to basically prime minister of Egypt. So he goes from the story of being a slave, and what's worse than being a slave is being a prisoner, to being a prisoner, being forgotten about, that you don't even exist to anyone, anywhere, to all of a sudden rocketed up to being prime minister of the most powerful nation the planet had ever seen. And the complete, utter, different level 
that Egypt is on compared to all the other civilizations around it is hard to describe. Just rocketed into basically a different world. And now he's in charge of all of that. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. What do I mean by that? If he is, woe is me in the prison, he doesn't see the opportunity to interpret dreams. If he is, Mr. Cranky Pants, I'm not going to help the cupbearer out, he doesn't get the opportunity to be prime minister of the greatest nation on, on the planet at the time. And the warning in that and also the learning moment in that is sometimes we get so, you know, self-pity is, is like a whirlpool, isn't it? You just start, I just need a little bit of pity. Just give me a little bit of pity today. I just want a little, whine a little bit. Just give me a moment to whine on this. And, but you get sucked in. If you start that self-pity train, all of a sudden, you're down here and now all the water's coming. Well, you put yourself there, yes. And it's all just flowing downhill because you put yourself at the bottom of the hill. You need really good friends to say, okay, yes, today was terrible. Come on out. Right? It's a, I'm not going to talk about baseball today. It was like a little promise I made myself. It's kind of a big week. We can talk later. Um, but we're in the ocean. And the undertow was terrible. I don't know what was going on with the pressure situation, but like Kendall and Lucy would go out five feet into the waves, and 30 seconds later, they're 40 yards down. I just, like, hey, I wore the most obnoxious, bright green, neon green shirt I possibly could because the kids would look up, and they're like, where's Dad? Oh, he's glowing over there. Okay, we're going to walk down the beach and get back close to Dad. Self-pity is the same way, right? You get out in that. You just, oh, I'm just going to get a little, let my toes wet, and it sucks you somewhere. Like, I don't want to be here. There's sharks here. It's dangerous. How did I, what, that, what is going on? You've got, and you have to have people in your life or an anchor in, in the Lord enough to go, hey, that's where I'm supposed to be. We're going to get out of this water, and we're going to go be where we're supposed to be. And some of us in this moment, and it's so easy, we're just riding along those waves and we're going to find ourselves somewhere that we don't want to be in a very dangerous situation and being threatened to be drowned. Joseph has to fight that same battle. And he keeps, keeps his landmark right where he needs to be. It's his integrity. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. Joseph chooses to heal. He chooses the high road. He chooses integrity because what happens is this beautiful, ironic thing that happens in Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 50, his brothers then came. Remember, Joseph is in charge of all of Pharaoh, all the grain, all all of Egypt. The only person he's not in charge of is Pharaoh himself. His brothers come. They throw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving the many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What had happened in, in the whole Medi- um, Mesopotamian area was a huge famine. And Egypt was the only one that was strategically placed to have food. And they'd been storing up food and storing up food and storing up food. So here come his brothers sent to buy food from Egypt. They don't know Joseph is there. They are sent to buy grain from Joseph. And Joseph has the thought, has to have the tension, the war inside him. Well, you guys, you jerks wanted to kill me. And instead of killing me, you wanted a profit, so you sold me into slavery. And then, and because of that slavery, I got accused of rape and thrown into a prison. And because of that, I got, are you serious right now? Like, it'd be so easy to be like, ha ha, suckers. Sure, I'll give you some grain. Where's the rotten stuff? We got any mice pellets we can put in grain sacks for them? They can go home and eat that. I mean, that's, and he's, would anybody blame him if that's how the story went? No, no one would blame anyone if he said, go kick rocks, man. Or better yet, well, hey, 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 Mr. Man with the hangman noose. Oh, would you like to be in slavery? Would you like to die? What would you like? No, no one would blame him. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's story is very, very, it goes up and down and it wraps around corners and it does all kinds of weird things. But all the things that everybody else intended for evil, Potiphar's wife, his brothers, even the forgetting of him from the cupbearer, that all had a moment in which Joseph was going to be able to do the maximum amount of good and save countless lives. And it rewrites the story of his family. It rewrites the story of the people. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. The very thing that's oppressing you, pressing you down, making you feel like it's unfair right now in this moment, maybe if you can change your attitude and be open to it, maybe the very thing that elevates you to a whole new area of opportunity. That is in no way, shape, or form telling you it's going to be easy. But it may be the very thing that maximizes your effectiveness. It positions you and places you into a moment in which you can do the absolute best good for the Lord. I know you don't want to hear that. If you're in it, if you're stuck in the bottom of that pit right now, great, Jared, in seven years, this is all going to work out fantastic. Right? That, that loses a little bit of it. But if you look at Joseph's life, like we're talking the best. And because of his faithfulness, because he didn't get overwhelmed by the moment, and because he didn't give up, he gets to save countless lives. I want to model that. I also want that in my life. When I'm dealing with adversity, when I'm dealing with stuff, when I'm dealing with situations where I just want to be like, it's unfair. I have to keep my eye that the Lord 
has a better plan. What other people meant for evil, God can work out for all kinds of beautiful things. Joseph chooses to heal. He chooses the high road. He chooses integrity. He doesn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. He doesn't lash out at the cupbearer. Remember, this is one that always sticks out to me. When he gets back and the cupbearer, like seven years later or whatever it is, says, oh yeah, I forgot, Joseph's there. He doesn't say, hey cupbearer, uh, you're fired. <laughs> like performance review time. You could have remembered this yesterday. Like right? seven years ago, that this could have been brought to everyone's attention. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he would have been in charge of Potiphar now. He didn't go back to Potiphar like, hey bud, remember when you didn't believe me? Uh, there's a nice military station out in the middle of the desert just for you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't call his brothers in. He does give them a little bit of a hard time and a little bit of a heart attack. So there's, I mean, you got you to get a little, little, little stuff. But he, he doesn't take out this revenge that would have been totally in his, his, within his rights to do. So to make it personal, what are we, what are we needing to persevere through? What's something right now that you look at as a challenge of your life? What is something that you need to persevere through at this moment? Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a unjustly accused of something. Maybe it's just a situation that's going on in life. What do you need to persevere through right now? I don't want to persevere through anything. I want justice. I want to be made fair right now as long as it's, I'm not the one being adversely affected. But what is it that we need to persevere through? What do we need to let go? Joseph gives us some beautiful example of just dropping grievances. What do we need to let go? We are trained through our parents and through society and through our community around us to just collect grievances like people collect baseball cards. I'm going to be mad at you, and I'm going to be mad at you, and I'm going to be mad at you. Why? I don't remember, but I remember I'm mad at you, right? Maybe that won't be valuable someday. No, it, it doesn't. It only deteriorates your heart. But we collect grievances. What can we let go? What needs to be dropped? If Joseph can't drop the grievances he has with his brothers, with Potiphar's wife, with with even the cupbearer, he can't be open and ready for the opportunity that God is going to give him. If he's consumed with grievances, he's weighed down by them, he cannot move forward in that. What are we needing to have compassion about? What are we needing to have compassion about? doesn't excuse people's behavior. It doesn't make it right. But it makes you more prepared for their, maybe their attitude or their issues. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. May we be like Joseph. Whatever challenges we're facing, whatever things are weighing on our hearts, whatever issues are pressing us down, may we be like Joseph. May we seize the opportunities. 
May we be quick to drop the grievances, to drop the grudges. Those grudges and those grievances will only weigh us down as we move towards the next opportunity. But you don't understand, Jared. I know. But being mad at somebody else has it ever propelled you into the future? No. If you take the grievances of a past relationship into a new one, has that ever worked out well? Have you taken the toxicity of a past job into a new job? Has that ever helped you in your uh, boss-client relationship? No. I had some toxic stuff that happened in the church before I got here, and there was some stuff that, that like, I was like, is this going to happen? Like, it was like, the fire is hot. There's no fire there, Jared, but the fire is hot. Like, I was envisioning flames. Anybody else ever been in like that in a job situation? Or uh, Jeremy and I have talked about some stuff. He's like, what, what's going on here, Jared? I was like, oh, you're, you're fine. But, 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 but what are you going on? No, no, Jeremy, you're fine. But, but Jared, what are you, the, 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 there's no fire here, Jeremy, <laughs> right? And there's a releasing in that. But if, if I continue to act out of my old toxicity and what I dealt with, then I, then I act harmfully and nasty to people and I don't get to seize the opportunities that are available. And for you and for me, that is a way in a job, it's a way in relationships, it's a way with all kinds of things. How you respond to adversity enables you to succeed in opportunity. This morning, I, I want to urge you to drop some things, to move towards God, to be available, to let him work in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are, what you're about, what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we ask you to move in a miraculous way. Some of us have really big things that we need to give away. We have really big things that we need to move away from. We have really hard nasty issues that are just kind of sucking us into the undertow of grief and pettiness and frustration. and Lord, We just need you to yank us out of that. Lord, would you be our lifeguard? Lord, would you keep our eyes open so that we can be available for the opportunities you have instead of, in, in front of us? Lord, right now, I want to prepare my heart, prepare my mind, prepare my very soul to forgive those who have wronged me. To leave it here. That toxic stuff, that yucky stuff, the pain, the frustrations, this would be a moment that we just take it out of our lives and leave it here so that we can walk in opportunity and seize the moments that you have for us. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe, and don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.